Welcome to Digital Health Talks. Each week, we meet with the healthcare leaders making a measurable difference in equity, access, and quality. Hear about what tech is worth investing in and what isn't as we focus on the innovations that deliver. Join me, Megan Antonelli, and my friend, Shahid Shah, for our weekly No BS Deep Dives into what's really making an impact in healthcare. Hi, and welcome back to Health Impact Live. Today, we are joined by Yoheni Salat, Jeet Barmecha, and Vicky Tiasi. And it's very exciting also to have Janae back here with me. I have known Jeet and Yoheni and Vicky for almost seven years, I think, and maybe some a little longer since we started Node Health and we started running the Digital Medicine Conference. We are in our sixth year, so it's exciting to have them here because they are all chairing the AI workforce theme for this year's conference. And Jeet, let's start with you. Introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about Node. Sure. Hi, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Megan and Janae for bringing us over here. I think, Megan, I know you more than seven or eight years, but I don't want to, you know, give up my looks and age on this program. But it's always exciting times to have you. And regarding known health, yeah, I've been with Node from the very, very beginning, actually. It's, it's still a journey. And what intrigued Node was the evidence piece, because during those times, there were about close to 200 to quarter million digital apps. And we as a physicians, we were very challenged with how do we know which had good evidence. And uh, there was no platform in US or any regulatory bodies looking at the, to the evidence for these digital apps or startups. And uh, I think that was the idea which turned into a not-for-profit foundational organization with some key leaders from health systems. Both of them are here, Vicky and Yohani. And it's still a journey with a very simple mission of having any digital or any innovation or care innovation with evidence. So we started with uh, collating some of the evidence behind these digital apps to now actually being a catalyst on the validation work, which Node helps through our champion, Dr. Ben Rosner and his team. And yeah, this year is our sixth year for our annual digital medicine conference in New York City. We are very thankful to once again, Microsoft for hosting us. And we do have several tracks, which I think Haney is going to go into more details. I am the Chief Information and Digital Strategy Officer at SBH Health System, always learning through these networking events and digital medicine conference, how our patients and the physician or the clinical community can benefit, whether these are processes, people or technology. Thank you, Megan. Yeah, it's been really great to work with Node and to sort of, I mean, to really see what's evolved. I mean, yeah, we do know each other longer than the last six years. It's been longer, you know, more like 10, maybe even more than that since we started Health Impact. And, yes. you know, those first four years, there wasn't much change. But in the last six, there has been so much, you know, and particularly in the world of evidence and where where people are looking and evaluating what's working and what's not. And when we named Health Impact, it was in fact because it was trying to find the places where technology was making a measurable impact, right? That was our, our goal. And so that's how we all joined really was because Node was focused on evidence and it was aligned with what we were doing. So 
And so as such, evidence continues to be a big theme. We got to work on it virtually for the last couple of years, but it's exciting to see it coming back to in-person. So tell us a little bit about the themes for this year and how it's going to be different. Yeah, thank you, Megan. And we are extremely excited that now finally Node is going back to the in-person event. And as a chair of last year conference where we had a full virtual event, I'm actually excited to see some of the people who are, had a chance to connect virtually now face-to-face. -face. And frankly, so much changed, not only from the last year, but specifically from the time we started the organization. Because back then, a lot of the notion and the topics we are talking about today we're still fresh in you. Telemedicine was not a given, and some leaders even questioned the value of a telemedicine. We, we didn't really have a concept of digital therapeutics. And a lot of the focus on evidence that as a community we're able to bring across the industry is absolutely amazing to see how it's reshaping whole way we do practice digital health. So for this particular event, we will be focusing on discussion between healthcare leaders, people who are doers, people who can go and share the best practices and lesson learned through the implementation or development of a digital health solution, but also multi-society task force that include some of the biggest organization across so we can talk with leaders that do make the change all across the organizations. And we have several teams, as Ma Megan mentioned, the team one is future-proving digital health with evidence. And the key part here is to learn what's regulatory uh, updates, what's changing, how our landscapes is different. How do we properly measure success in our implementation of the evidence? What is the new normal? What, where are we going from the innovation perspective? From the team number two, which is focused on the digital health role in improving diversity, equity, and inclusion, we will be diving deeper into the role of digital medicine in addressing disparities and inequity. And I'm pretty sure all of you can agree about the timeliness of, of those discussions. We'll try to see how we can harness the power of public health and digital health to build a better, more equitable healthcare system and what can be done to better promote women health uh, and life cycle of innovation around the women health. For team number three, as a digital front door, and now all of our assets are digital or hybrid, uh, and now we're knowing and seeing that's virtual here, here to stay, how can you learn what's working? How do we know what additional tool can help us to scale? And what can we do with remote patient monitoring in telemedicine now? And how to properly transition your workforce from the previous place to this new normal? And that's where we're going to theme number four, where all three of us will be leading. And that's focused on how do you build the new best practices to actually leverage the power of technology to address the burnout. We have such an amazing changes in the landscape. We have additional workload that's coming into all the clinical aspects of our healthcare system. So how can we ensure that we are not adding additional work that cannot be sustainably handled by our teams? Oh, that's a great Please join us for this year event.
And, you know, the last but not least, a little bit about myself. I'm a clinician by training, and I'm currently serve as Vice President of Innovation for Davis Health and CMIO for Digital Health. Awesome. Also, those are a lot of themes that I care about. So we'll have to come back to some of those. Before that, I want to I want to hear from Vicky. Like you've been a long-term champion of Node Health for those on the recording. We just heard that Vicky moved to Utah and I've lived there and I love Utah. And you're working with AI, machine learning, and clinical workforce satisfaction, which is such an interesting and fascinating area. I'd love to hear kind of about why you're why you believe in this, but also more about more about that work. Yeah, sure. Thank you. It's it's great to be here with G and Yuhini. And special thanks to Health Impact for continuing to celebrate and elevate Node and the Digital Medicine Conference. Agree with the sentiment, super excited about this year's conference and our themes. So I am a nurse informaticist and specifically do applied informatics research in digital health. And as as you noted, just recently moved to University of Utah Health to lead the strategy around their new digital health initiative. And I think the exciting piece about digital health today compared to where we started years ago is that initially we were just broadly thinking about how we could share lessons learned and you know really collaborate as health leaders around digital health and and now we've really advanced and we're to a point where we now have specific solutions namely our clinical workflows and supporting our clinical workforce using digital health so this is absolutely an area that I'm quite passionate about. I think now more than ever, we need to think about how we are leveraging technologies to create the most efficiencies. So thinking about the evidence related to those clinical efficiencies. And I think the other interesting piece as while you know, digital health was, was quite large when we first started Node, now if we look at some of the projections, digital health is expected to be at over 500 billion by 2025. So we have a huge market of, of digital health products. However, however, we still hear that the clinicians do not feel the impact at the bedside. So I think thinking about how we close that gap and to your point, how we use technologies like artificial intelligence, natural language processing and other digital needs to ensure our clinicians can feel that uh, digital impact at the bedside. Yes. I just read that report where it talked about the gap, like patients are more excited about it. And like physicians, it's not that they're not excited, but the adoption is really different. Like it's spotty essentially across the board. And then also there's that gap where they feel like they can get better interaction for like new patients or for new diagnoses in, in person. And um, Vicky, I, I think that was a great point. And I think the important distinction here is physician need to feel a positive impact, right? Or clinical outcomes improvements around the technology, because, you know, as as a focus of our session, unfortunately, a lot of clinicians do feel the impact of the digitalization of some of that with a negative 
sentiment yeah. because of additional workload that not necessarily properly integrated or reimbursed. So I think the, the, the key part of here is how do you ensure that this is really a multiplier on the quality and efficiency of you as a clinician? Yeah, that's a great point. Like if you feel like, you know, you get, you get the, the work of plugging in every day, you get the work of taking more notes, which I know every clinician loves, <laughs> notes all the time. But yeah, you want you need to be able to actually feel the positive difference. And the people who are making doing the work don't always get the reward. You know, it's just more work for you, especially in now. We've talked to a lot of nurses and a lot of clinicians who are just understaffed. You know, do you think, and this is for anyone, like, do you think digital health can bridge that gap? Like, is that going to be a positive change? Is that the future? So it's it's an interesting question, right? And I think to a certain degree, this is a very reactive approach to this, right? I'm, I'm short-staffed. I cannot properly attract the workforce to my location. What can I do, right? Can I bring more people? Pro no, because it's becoming financially you know, unstable, right? So what else can I do, right? How can I replace and automate? I think to a certain degree, it will get a little bit worse before it gets better. Here is why. Because you will have to redesign a lot of your inefficient workflows that will properly leverage the technology, right? That will then return the joy of practicing to a lot of clinical specialty that will then attract a lot of workforce back, right? And I think that the talk around, oh, can I replace my workforce with automated chatbots and everything else? as of 2022 in nonsense, right? Like we we will have some additional tool to augment this, but we cannot and actually should not talk about the full replacement because that's just portraying unrealistic and potentially clinically harmful picture. That's a strong opinion. See, we're gonna put that in quotes. You know, it <clears throat> it is unrealistic. I'd love to hear what were you gonna say? Yeah, Janae, so- Sorry, Megan. I was just going to ask what you think in terms yeah. of the, you know, different, you know, because you all come it's, from different hospitals and health systems and organizations. So also representing where so, certain organizations are in this. So I will take a little bit slightly different approach because I serve on the Digital Health Advisory Board for American College of Physicians. Actually, there is an actual shortage of healthcare workforce. And there are numerous data which is evident, whether it is nurses or respiratory therapists or physicians. So we have to make sure that our aging populations are given appropriate care, not increasing the scope of practice. The Americans do deserve to be seen by physicians or allied professionals. So I think with the regulatory changes and the transformation of the curriculum, we will be seeing hopefully next 10 or 15 years, the increased workforce. As far as digital health or technology is concerned, there are, there are a lot of unintended consequences. For, examination, for example, the administrative workload for physicians have increased. And recent studies showed that the prior authorization is number one, burdensome for the physicians well, while they are 
doing the right thing for the right patient for right reasons, still prior authorizations. And also the infrastructure for the care where they are being provided. So if you look at the primary care physicians or the primary care practitioners, because of the unintended consequences, they are bringing so much work at home. And what they call it is increased pajama time, you know. So they are continuing to get cluttered with their inboxes, uh, getting requests from pharmacists or the patients. Or So unless you change those infrastructure, I, I think that was also going to add some burden or I would say burnout for the clinicians. And again, these were all unintended consequences. The other classic example is the information sharing for the labs. Because of the Cures Act, now the patients are receiving some of the lab results without being reviewed by clinicians. So that has increased more anxiety to the caregivers and the patients. And as a result, the inboxes are increasing significantly. So again, the, the intentions were very good, but the unintended consequences on the physicians are the sort of a recipe for the clinician burnout. But as Yuhini mentioned, it will take some time. We are in the transformational phase. We have to take each individual unintended consequences and turn it to a positive uh, feedback, both to the patients, caregivers, and the patients, I mean, and the physicians. Uh, hopefully, that will uh, mitigate some of the issues. But again, it will take some time. Yeah, I think that's, it sounds like long-term planning and time is part Correct. of it. Correct. Yeah. And, and there's that's a lot of awesome for some people, but <laughs> it's true. It, it takes long, a, it's conscious work making the organization. Yeah. And I think what I'm hearing, you know, I mean, there's a lot of metrics at play, right? I mean, there's not only the, you know, it's how, how do you measure even burnout, right? Or, or what is making it easier, right? So when it comes down to the evidence, you know, I think we're just getting to the point where we're even understanding what the impacts, what the unintended consequences are that might be, you know, some that might even be positive that we've got to measure to show that the, you know, what's happening. So is that something you're seeing like Vicki in particular, like with clinical informatics, are there different data points being collected with these new technologies that <laughs> then evaluated or is it more complicated than that? <laughs> It is a little more complicated. I just wanted to clarify a couple of terms. So I think broadly, we talk about burnout of clinicians. And there are ways to measure burnout. There are some tools that are out there, actually some that AMA has developed and others, yeah. but also recognizing that a segment of burnout is documentation burden. So I just don't want to confuse those two topics because although they're related, they're measured very differently. And I think we're still trying to figure out how to measure documentation burden. To Jeet's point, pajama time has been a somewhat, you know, uh, past method that hasn't really worked well. So we're now seeing some new methods to examine time in documentation, such as looking at logs, looking at time to complete certain activities. So looking at more of a task analysis. So I definitely think we have some work to do in the measurement area. But if you don't mind, I just wanted to go back to Janae's point, because I just had a couple of additional pieces. 
on do we think that digital health can help with some of these issues? And I would argue absolutely. I think we're seeing great solutions in the education space. So I think we sometimes miss that piece. We need to educate our clinicians, especially if we want to bring new people into the workforce. And I think there are some great digital health solutions to do that. So I just want to make sure that that, that is highlighted. And then I think the other tricky piece related to this, you know, we've got a, a, a lot of work to do before we'll see these efficiencies manifest. I think the trick is thinking about return on investment and kind of flipping that on its head, because I think our healthcare leaders are still in that mindset of, oh, if I'm going to invest in this solution, I need to see a return on investment. Well, it might not be hard dollars, right? And if you're investing in your workforce and thinking about the wellness of your workforce, maybe that's a better metric than simply looking at the ROI. Yeah. And, and then the, the last piece around the, the workforce is the resources to implement. So what I'm seeing is that because of workforce reductions, we have less resources to implement some of these technologies and they're just being thrown at the clinicians, right? It's like, here we go, it's technology, just use it. And, and we have to remember that hasn't worked in the past and it's not gonna work moving forward. So really thinking about how we invest in those resources to implement properly. Yeah, I love what you said because when I talk to people who are like well-being officers, they they ask, they're like, here's the gap. The gap for me is being able to show the value to people who are decision makers like CFOs when you can't always see it, you know, on your balance sheet right away. Like where where should we be investing and what does that look like? So what have you found anything? Like what would you tell those people? Like because everyone asks that. Everyone says like, well, how do I show if the program that we're using is is great or not? Yeah, I think that swings back to the measurement piece. We really have to work on getting those measurements and think about evidence a little differently. So I'm hoping we'll be able to dig into that at the conference and really showcase some of the areas. Now I'm like, wait, that's a real question. What is it? See that teaser? I saw you did there. (laughs) So Janae, if I may also jump, I think Vicky, you know, covered the extremely important part of the of the value creation, right? And and the interesting that's when you start speaking about decision maker, your first thought was CFO, right? But I think that's actually an example of an inverted value chain in our current healthcare, right? Because technically it's not you're not didn't mention chief nursing officer or chief medical officer right but you automatically went to the funds flow as a main decision making right and i think going back to some of a discussion around the measurement that's why because money is relatively easy to measure right we we've been living in a fee-for-service world right? And to a certain degree, we use it as a proxy of a success of our practices. But I think the transition to value-based, right? Not necessary care, but value-based delivery of care is important because we actually didn't even talk about the clinician's experience with the technology before we started adopting the EHR. That's why a lot of the first lines of the EHR came up with some challenges, right, to the burnout. So now we finally look 
on the metrics that's not necessarily exclusively driven by finance and performance, but actually incorporate the user experience on both patient and clinician side, we're actually getting closer to the ecosystem where digital health actually can try thrive. Yeah, I like what you said that we need to, you know, it's an inverted system. And I wonder if we'll put more of the power for decision making, even in the hands of the people who are responsible for care. I'd love to hear what you're most excited about. Like, what's the future? What are you excited about at the conference? I'm excited to hear from Vicky more about measurement and like how that change looks. Uh, I, I would like to hear or understand. I mean, we don't have a single EMR in this country. Even if those who are Epic install base, the way it has been installed between various Epic or Cerner or Allscripts, they are not the same. Or they may look similar, but they are not the same. That is number one. Number two, as Yohini mentioned, we did not, or the industry did not give enough thought on the clinician or human design. I would like to hear from the user experience or the human design, how we can change and be a little bit more innovative on the screen sides, whether it is data innovation on bringing in meaningful information at the point of care, or even the way the EMR is on the screen, how it can be a little bit more human friendly. Just to get to one result, sometimes we have to have about 10 or 15 clicks, you know, so everything adds up. So I, I'm more interested in, given on the human design factor and some data innovation at the point of care, which can help physicians to be more or clinicians to be more productive. I mean, I have heard of ambient or speech to text technologies and all. Some of them are on research side. Some of them are still in the early stages of adoption. So combination of those technologies and the human design interfaces, I'm really looking forward. And I am, I hope we will have some good learning lessons over there. Great. I'll jump in. Those are great, G. When it comes to the theme of supporting our clinicians with technology, there are two items that I'm excited about. One is, you know, understanding some of the systems approaches that are working and hopefully hearing from individuals that are included in some of these innovations. So again, really thinking about how we, we flip the tables and it's not technology being done to the clinicians, but the clinicians actually participating in, in creating innovation and presenting the problems that need to be solved. I think a lot of times we see digital solutions that are not even solving a problem that our clinicians have. So how do we flip that? So I'm excited about that. And then the other piece is from the, the patient side, I think there has been a, a nice proliferation of shared decision-making tools. And I'm really interested in seeing how those tools can support our clinical workflows, right? So how can we partner with patients so that we are receiving data from patients, you know, taking away some of intake burden from our clinicians and then, you know, vice versa, having that, you know, feedback and patients being able to see their own data. So I think there are some interesting developments there, especially related to the information blocking regs that just went into effect. So I think it's a nice time to think about that patient side as well. 
I am extremely excited, and I think that the future looks bright. And here is why. The whole fact we are talking about a lot of those problems mean that we're focusing our efforts and our resources on, on a lot of those problems. And that's, in most of the cases, a good start, right? It's not necessarily guarantee your success, but a lot of people starting to look at that from a lens. And to a certain degree, technological you know, slowness of a healthcare industry for the first time potentially playing into advantage. Here's what I mean, is by the time we actually all came to agreement that it's a good idea to help with additional automation, a lot of other industry already tried it out. The cost of our cloud services went down significantly. We will learn how to properly use some of the predictive models. We're still struggling in the best way to do it in an ethical way or evaluate it for the long term. But at least we're not making a billion dollar mistakes while learning the lesson. So the cost of uh, trying and innovating you know, became lower. So we can actually put it in a places where before because of a lack of potential ROI from financial staff, that will be totally neglected. So now that's allow us to actually look onto newer way to manage, newer way to deliver and, and, uh, and bring solutions. And the biggest point, the whole fact that we now have a, a information blocking law, right? Then you actually expect to go to any healthcare system around the nation and connect your smart application to pull your data is amazing to me. Because that was not the case even five years ago. And liberating a lot of the data access now combined with the technology around the machine learning create an unprecedented opportunities for the future growth. So I think all the tailwinds right now is in favor of a big grow and a bright future for the digital health. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. And it is, the future is bright and it's exciting. You know, and we're coming out of a couple not so bright years. So it's really great that we have some stuff to look forward to. And it's just, you know, there's been incredible innovation. And as with that, I think Vicky was probably in 2019 that we were talking about the people, the processes and the technology and getting those all together. And now, you know, the tech, I think the technology is there and it is good that there's been some testing of it by other industries. Healthcare as it should be is a bit more risk adverse. So Good times and good things, and I'm so excited. We'll be DMC is December 7th and 8th in New York, and we'll all be there. And we'll continue this conversation later during the roundtable. And thank you all for joining us. And I can't wait to see you in person in December. Likewise, thank you. Thank you, Jim and Megan. Thank you for joining us for this week's Health Impacts Digital Health Talk. Don't miss another podcast. Subscribe at digitalhealthtalks.com. And to join us at our next face-to-face event, visit healthimpactlive.com.